you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. That is where we will be this morning. While you do that, welcome back to the fourth sermon in this series that we are preaching called The Art of Neighboring. We've been talking about what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves. We hear this cry from Scripture each and every Sunday morning, but the question is, do we actually do it? Do we actually think about doing it? Do we know the human beings who live next to us? What do we know about them? Are we taking the love of Christ to them? And we talked a couple of weeks ago about the time dilemma, which we are suburbanites after all. We know exactly what this time dilemma is about because we all deal with being very busy. Relationships take time. Getting to know people take time. This morning we tackle the issue of motive. What is our motive for loving our neighbors as ourselves? The story is told of a lighthouse keeper who worked on a rocky stretch of coastline, who received his new supply of oil once a month to keep the light burning. Not being far from shore, he had frequent guests. One night, a woman from the village begged of him some oil to keep her family warm. Another time, a father asked for some to use in his lamp. Another needed some to lubricate a wheel. And since all the, questions, all the, all the requests seemed legitimate to him, he was pleased to grant every one of them. But toward the end of the month, he noticed that the supply of oil was becoming low. And soon it was gone and the beacon light went out. And that night, several ships were wrecked. Lives were lost. When the authorities investigated, the man was very repentant to his excuses and pleading. Their reply was this. You were given the oil for one purpose and one purpose only, to keep the light burning. You are the light of the world. Jesus has given us his light. Jesus has made us light for only one purpose. And that's to shine for him. In other words, your central purpose in life, what I want you to know as you exit this building this morning is this. Your central purpose in life, wherever God takes you in life, is to be a light for him. That you would make much of him wherever you go. That when people look at your life, they would say, to God be the glory. Because that human being right there is changed. Be the light of Christ. Like the lighthouse keeper, we have no excuse if we do not keep the light burning. You are the light of the world. In 1878 to 1880, Thomas Edison was in the process of 
creating the light bulb. And really what Edison was perfecting was this small carbon filament in a light bulb that you perhaps have never really looked at. It's this little insignificant thing in a light bulb that when connected to the right source, it just lights the room, lights up a room. This was later changed to a tungsten filament because tungsten just worked better than carbon. And in a typical 60-watt bulb, the tungsten filament is about six and a half feet long, but it is only one hundredth of an inch thick. This small, little, seemingly unsignificant filament that when electrified can light up a darkened room. The filament, when connected to the source, the right source, can light up a dining room, can light up a bedroom, or any room in which it's placed. And this is the question, right? This is the question that God has given me and he's given you today. He is asking a question, will you be the filament that I can use that will illuminate your family? Will you be the filament that lights up your home? Will you be the filament that lights and illuminates your workplace that I have you in? Will you be the filament that illuminates your workout groups? Will you be the filament that when you enter classrooms, you're going to shine my light? Will you illuminate your school, your neighborhoods? Do your neighbors, when they look at your home, know that there is something different about that home? It's a light, it's a beacon, it's different. I can't, right? I can't put my finger on it, but they hope in something far different than we hope in over here. And there may be a fence that divides us, but doggone it, that home is different. They wake up on Sunday mornings, and they leave, <laughs> and they go to church, and they come back different people for six days. They're a light. They illuminate. The neighborhood. Will you be a light of the world? Let me just give you three grace-based encouraging statements that would make this so today in your life and in mine. Number one, you need to know that illumination means penetration. Illumination means penetration. For people in the ancient world who knew nothing about electricity, right? So you need to Kind of put yourself in the shoes of the listeners of God's word back when Jesus would have said this. They, they didn't have light bulbs. They had what? <laughs> they had fire, candles, right? They had no knowledge of electricity. So this metaphor probably had a greater impact in their lives than it does to us today. Because we read this and they're like, oh yeah, great, okay, light. Yeah, that, yeah I have that every day. <laughs> 
You know, they, but they get it. They would have understood this metaphor because Jesus' point is that light is what? It is worthless if it's not visible. And so he gives two examples. Look at verse 14 and look at verse 15. Verse 14, he gives an example of a city, what? Set on a hill, right? That cannot be... (laughs) Yeah, all right. Just want to make sure you're awake and you're with me. Sometimes I got to do this. Just So interaction's always good. City on a hill cannot be hidden. His point is that we, his followers, are that city. We are not tiny villages that are in a valley that's obscure, little noticed. We're set atop a hill. A city whose light signals its presence for miles around. You are a city on a hill. It cannot be hidden. And then the second illustration he gives is what? A lamp under a a bowl. Right? No one in his right mind lights a lamp only to hide the light under a bowl. Under to hide the light that he's lit, right? Everybody remember the, the little song as we sang, you know, as children? Ever, should we sing that? Should we all stand and no? Everyone's like, no, I no, I don't I don't want to sing. I don't want to listen. Right? A, a lamp under a bowl. Did God redeem us? Did he shed the light of his spirit in our hearts? Only then to cover us over in darkness or silence or passivity? How then should we shine as lights? How should we penetrate darkness? Well, we do this by works of compassion. We do this by works of mercy to those outside the church. We shed abroad the light of Christ and his love and his grace by those we come in contact with out there. Remember as a young child entering church every Sunday, that's what we did. We went to church every single Sunday. My dad made it very clear. You live under my roof, Sunday morning you're going to church. And I would enter the church building and as we exited, there was a sign as we exited. Anybody else true with this? You are entering your mission field. That's the idea. You are now exiting the church and you're going to shine the light in darkness. God's love and his mercy. But we also do this by works of compassion and mercy to those inside the church, to each other. Tertullian wrote in 200 AD, but it is mainly the deeds of a love that's so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another. Do we love one another here at St. Paul's? Do we care for one another? We do so by spoken witness. We evangelize. We are not secret, silent Christians. We are lights. Illumination means penetration. Illumination means glorification. I want you to notice two things. First, let's look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. If we just go ahead just a little farther, 
We're in Matthew 5, but if you look at Matthew 6 and verse 1, Jesus lays down a warning and a principle. And he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. But here in Matthew 5, he says, let your light, what? Shine before men that they may see your good works, your good deeds, and what? Praise your Father in heaven. So you can read both of those statements, which are so close together, and just kind of be perplexed. Like, which is it, Jesus? Am I, should I let my good deeds be seen, or should I not them, let them be seen? Which is it? I'm confused. I think this is what he's getting at. I, I think what he's getting at in Matthew 6 and verse 1 is that there is a way in which you can carry yourself or act righteously for only one purpose. And that is because you crave human praise. Human praise. You act righteously with the aim to be praised by others so that when you look good, you're going to really look good. And they let you know it, and you like it. Preachers get in this, we can get in this trapment. Because we can, we can stand here, and we can just pour out our soul and our heart from God's word, and you exit, and what do you say to the preacher? That was a great sermon this morning, Pastor. Thank you. And we can just be like, I, I know, aren't I great? I thought of all that by myself, right? We could do that, and it, and it makes us feel good, and we care what you think about our preaching, and we can get in this entrapment that we can feel puffed up and, and really good about ourselves and feel great about what we do. But then Jesus is saying here in Matthew 5, there is another goal in mind by which you do what you do, and that's what? That people would see your good works and give glory to God in heaven. That when you hear preaching in your ears that move your heart and move your mind, or when you see the good works of a brother or sister in mercy or in grace, you would say, God, thank you for changing that life. You are doing amazing work through that individual, and I give you praise for it. And you and yourself can say, listen, I do everything. Whether I eat or whether I drink, I do all to the what? To the glory of God. Everything I do is for his glory. Or it's Paul who says to live is Christ. Everything I do, while I live, it's for Christ. It's to reflect his glory. But then he doesn't just stop there, does he? He says to die is what? Is gain. Why would he say that? Because ultimately he wants Christ. That's his ultimate goal. So it starts with your knowing 
that your light was obtained from another source. Right? You're not just light because you're light. And you're not just light because you're a human being. You're light because of God and God alone. Plain and simple. Jesus is the only real light of the world. We are light because we are in him. Period. It has nothing to do with you. It's all Christ. All the time. 24 hours, 7 days a week. It's all about Christ. Or to put another way, he is the sun, as it were, and we are the moon who reflects his presence and his power. In his absence, we're just sinful shadows. Knowing this produces humility. Illumination means penetration. Illumination means glorification. Lastly, in finishing up, illumination means a right motivation. A right motivation. You heard read this morning Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show what? Do you remember what the writer of Hebrews said? Do not neglect to show hospitality. Hospitality. And your question as you would have read that would have been why? Why why not neglect? And he says, for thereby some have entertained what? Angels unawares. I think this is what the writer of Hebrews is really getting at. Shining the light of Christ means a right motivation. A motivation for strategic hospitality. Strategic. There is a readiness about you to welcome people in to your home. Your door is not a door, it is a revolving door. You are ready and willing to welcome people into your home. That's your strategy. You just want to gobble them up and be light and love and mercy in the hands and feet of Christ. Right? The most natural thing in the world is to what? It's to neglect hospitality. Right? That's the easy thing to do. It is the path of least resistance. Drink Coke, watch Clemson, and just have a happy life. <laughs> That's easy to do, right? Anybody can do that. Anybody can watch football and drink Coke. But by God's grace, we will be motivated to do more. To be hospitable because when we practice hospitality, we experience this thrill of feeling God's power conquer our self-centeredness, our, our fears, and our stinginess. We are opening our home. And there are a few joys, if anything, greater than the joy of experiencing the liberating power of God's hospitality, making us a new and radically different kind of people who love, who love to reflect the glory of his grace as we extend it to others in all kinds of hospitality. Motives matter.
motives matter. Right? We don't reach out. We don't reach out to people in our neighborhoods. We don't reach out to people because we're looking for just a, another evangelistic notch in our belts. Or because we're just, you know, the sole aim is just to share the gospel. Right? Rector said to share the gospel. I'm sharing the gospel. And then you're done and you're like out of there and they're out of sight and out of mind and you're back to drinking Coke and watching football and I did what I was supposed to do. It's not it at all. We reach, right? We reach because they are fellow human beings, right? The people who live next to you have lives (laughs) and they have families And they have hurts. And they deeply need Christ in their life. And God is calling us to them because he wants you and he wants me to shine the light of all lights onto their paths. Let's pray together. Father.